0: think about that and and then we have to figure out what to do with things like sin if you're a Christian we should start hating sin and pulling away from sin and rejecting sin and exposing sin and dealing with sin don't say that pastor you'll lose people in your congregation no problem I'll keep saying that because that'll help people stay out of hell that's the reality that's the reality And it's not just avoidance of sin that sends you to heaven. It's love of Christ Jesus. But love of Christ Jesus by proxy should cause biblically a hatred of sin. Or as the purifications would say it, we should be after the mortification of sin, the killing of sin. Well, as we continue on in our exposition of the book of john um, i'm greatly encouraged uh, to constantly look to scripture and uh, as you're turning to, to john chapter 1 uh, we'll be in verses 24 through 28 today uh, just greatly encouraged to see god continuously over and over and over again in his word uh, clearly show himself to be true Uh, When we look at the world around us, for example, uh, I I know that I keep coming back to this chapter, but it's so true. Romans chapter 1, that is our society, that is our culture, that is what we're dealing with constantly today, is dealing with people of a depraved mind who have been handed over to ungodliness. Uh, Literally to the point, my brother and I were talking about this, uh, and, and for those of you who met my brother, you know how much he likes math and science and computers. He's a total nerd. All right. That being said, uh, he's brilliant. And one of the things that he was talking to me about, to just see how illogical, let's say, the LGBTQ movement is, all right? how entirely illogical they are. Uh, when we look at computers and circuitry, which ultimately boils all, all down to zeros and ones, all right? ASCII code, the most basic possible level of coding, zeros and ones, there's a logical um, sequence that's involved to do anything. There's a logical uh, gate that information has to pass through in order for, let's say, even a calculator to run correctly, or a computer to run correctly. And so here are people who are literally using devices that cannot be used in any other way, but logically to purport let's say, let's say, a smartphone or a computer, but to purport an illogical position. To say something like, well, you were born a man, or you were born a woman, yet now because you so desire, you can choose to be the opposite gender or no gender at all, which makes no sense at all. <laughs> and when we, when we see constantly, let's look at any other culture on the planet that's not westernized, there would not be a single culture on our entire planet that comes to my mind that is... That is not westernized and liberalized in either its theology or its belief system, that would say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They would say, what were you born, young man? Then that is what you are. What were you born, young woman? Then that is what you are. In addition, those cultures would not execute babies wholesale. And here we are as as one of the most quote-unquote civilized uh, societies and countries in the entire world yet we literally execute children in the womb. That's embarrassing. That's terrible. We look at one of the the biggest slaps in the face to God would be literally destroying another image-bearer of God. And so, uh, the Reformers and all the theologians in the past uh, in Latin, they would say that man was created imagio dei, in the image of God. In the image of God, He created the man and woman. Let us make man in our image. And so what's one of the biggest ways that people can try and reach out and slap God figuratively in the face? By destroying an image bearer. By destroying one of His children. So we see that all life, regardless of uh, race, creed, etc., all life is precious before God. Therefore, we are bound biblically, whether we believe in the Bible or not, to honor God as God. Romans 1 keep that let that rattle around in the back of your head uh, again I get excited about um, uh, jumping back into the word and reading through scripture uh, if you will please pray with me God you are evident Lord in both the things that are made God when we look outside but also uh, God you are evident when we look at your word the holy bible inerrant infallible true in every sense authoritative over our lives and the governance of the church. God, You are good and You have laid out Your plan for us. Father, that You would uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond to the truth that we hear in this message today which comes from Your Word. And God, that You would continue to do a mighty work here in Wakeman, Ohio. Lord, that You would extend that work to the township. You would extend that, that work to the world. God, specifically right now as we look at Kenya and the interaction that we're having with, with uh, at least electronic mission work right there right now, God, bless those endeavors. Be with us. Give us strength. Give us wisdom and give us courage to do what is right, though the world hates it. Father God, it's in your perfect and holy and precious and mighty and wonderful and beautiful and glorious and majestic name that we pray. Amen. Again, John chapter 1 verses 24 through 28. Now they, and this would be uh, the scribes and various teachers had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked Him and said to Him, why then, to John the Baptist, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one, and that would be Jesus, whom you do not know. It is He who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. We well, look at our first two verses. Let's, let's, cut those, let's cut those out for a second. This is just John 1, 24 and 25. Uh, let's take those into our eyes for a second. Let's distill some truths and let's explain them. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So here's our first point. Perceived religious authority means nothing if it is corrupt or flawed in interpretation. Perceived religious authority means nothing if it is corrupt or flawed in interpretation. So as we discussed in our last sermon, we see again that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, and the authority of the day were actually confused on what the Scriptures had to say concerning uh, just their language that they're using with John the Baptist. They were so used to operating out of their tradition that they couldn't understand or see what was being explained literally right in front of them if they had chosen to correctly interpret the Scriptures. So I, I want to I pose a, a simple question for, for you to think about. If you have authority or perceived authority, but you do not acknowledge the source of that authority as authoritative but instead choose personal opinion, feeling, or tradition over, let's just say, God, who are you being obedient to? Yourself. That's idolatry. If we boil it down to to pride, selfishness, idolatry. And remember, I made this argumentation before. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it's not just this list of do's and don'ts. It's a reflection of the character and nature of God. Why would God worship anything else other than Himself? He wouldn't because He's God. There's our first commandment. So when we look at this, we understand that no matter what sin we commit uh, in, in any way whatsoever, all of that will stem back to the first commandment where we have tried to usurp the throne of God. We've tried to take over God's position and say, you know what, God? You're God. You've said to do this or not to do this, but because I am going to step out into the fray on my own and make this decision because I want to, you've literally just done the exact same thing that Satan did when he was thrown out of heaven. The exact same thing. When he was cast down into the earth, why? Because he literally tried to steal the throne of God from God. That's really stupid. And remember, that's a biblical word. It's in Proverbs, so I can actually say it. (laughs) The Pharisees, they didn't realize that the Christ and the prophet were and are the same person. Remember when we talked about that in the last sermon. Uh, When we look at Deuteronomy 18, when God is speaking to Moses, he's literally saying, I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna send a prophet like you. And ultimately, that prophecy was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, but here, here the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, what are they saying? Are you, are you the Christ, or are you Elijah, or are you the prophet? What they just said is, are you Christ twice, and they didn't even realize it. How foolish is that? I, I want you to see how like, needlessly repetitive that is. If, if in, in a way that we can understand in modern language, let me paint their argument that they were making, or the question, the line of questioning that they were asking John the Baptist: uh, Is your truck a Ford, a Chevy, or a Ford? That doesn't make sense. Uh, is that a cow or a goat or a cow? That also doesn't make sense. Is the sky blue or is it black or is it blue? That also doesn't make sense. And that's the exact same thing they were doing. The ridiculous statements, I know, but true statements regarding their spiritual perception. Think about it. They're exposing uh, a lack of true biblical understanding in even the questions that they are asking. Remember what I've told, uh, I think, a lot of our leaders, excuse me, privately, but also, uh, um, I think I've said this once once or twice publicly, If you want to listen to people's spirituality, you want to you want to see what they're getting into. Listen how they pray. Listen to how they pray, because here's here's what's going to come out of a Christian's mouth, even if they're a baby Christian, even even if they're new to this thing, they're going to start they're going to start praying things that ultimately are scriptural and biblical. They might not know the exact verse reference, they might not quote it perfectly, but when you distill down their prayer, when you boil it down, it's going to look like the Bible more or less. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but it's going to look more or less like the Bible. And so when you have people who have been professing Christianity for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, however long they think they've been a Christian, and the only thing that they can ever pray about is, well, Lord, I'm thankful for how green the grass is and, and, and the trees and you know the sun's up there. That's awesome. Yes, we should thank and praise God for those things. Those are elements of common grace. But at the same token, if that's all you've got, you're not reading the Bible. You're literally not reading the Bible. And it's so evident, but the problem is is that you can't get a pastor up to tell people that and not have people throw darts, stones, and rocks at them because it's the truth. And I'm so sick and tired of seeing pastors and churches capitulate on the truth of God simply because they're afraid of what people might say or what people might do, or we might hurt someone's feelings. Think about that for a second. Think about it. I mean, seriously, what did Jesus do? Did He come and say, you know what? I know that, you know, if I tell you the truth here, you might not like it, so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait, brother. I'm going to wait, sister. No, He said, hey, this is your condition. This is the truth of God. You're fallen. You're undone. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can continue down your your path of, of religious traditionalism. Guess where it will end? Gehenna. It will end in hell. It will end in Hades, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm dieth not, uh, where there is outer darkness. Think about this for a second. I've said this a hundred times. So many people, this is this bad theology. Don't get your theology from bumper stickers or t-shirts. Don't do it. Hell is not the absence of God. This, this is what a lot of people will say. Hell, well, that's where, you know, if you go to heaven, you'll spend forever with God in, in heaven and everything's good. And if you, if you go to hell, then you'll just spend forever away from God in hell. No, my friend. You will spend forever in hell trying to hide yourself from the eternal wrath of an almighty God. Where His love will not be present, His mercy will not be present, and His kindness will not be present in any way whatsoever where the smoke of your torment will ascend upwards forever and ever in the presence of the Lamb and the Holy Angels. That's Revelation chapter 14. This is real. And we have to be a people who actually knows our Bible if we're going to put one foot in front of the other and be what it is to be a Christian. Or do what it is to do uh, 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 religious things as a Christian. I'll air quote that one because we don't know with a lot of people until they start talking or proving it with their lives that they're not. We just don't. Now I've said this before in, in, in prisons, uh, and it made sense to prisoners, so I know for a fact that if I uh, speak to our upstanding congregation here, that we should be able to latch on to this one as well. If you do not have a new heart and a new soul, if you do not have ears to hear and eyes to see, Jesus Christ Himself, let's pick that vent right there with the fan that would be in your front right fan, I believe. If Jesus Christ Himself in bodily form literally descended into the midst of this congregation, came up and shook you by the shoulders and said, I am Jesus Christ, believe in Me. Follow Me, trust Me, obey Me. If you do not have eyes to see and ears to hear, though the Lord Himself descended in this place, you would continue to reject Him. Continue to reject Him. That's the biblical truth. Remember, what, what happened when Jesus would literally explain Scripture to people and say, hey, by the way, uh, today this has been fulfilled in your ears. What did they try and do with him? Throw him off a cliff. The Son of God. Christ Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. They wanted to literally kill him. At, at one point we see the, the vast majority of his, and I'm going to air quote this, his disciples, because the Bible is sarcastic in calling them disciples, his disciples depart from him because he had spoken hard words tell me how many times we have seen that here hard words guess what truthful words yes 100 percent. so w- w- what's the problem with the messenger or the message it's the message who wrote the message god it's black and white it's right in front of us and so this is the joy that we have if we're christians That we can see that. That in itself is evidence of grace and mercy. We have to be a people about our Father's business. And if we're seeing it, if we're recognizing sin in our lives, we're repenting of that sin, we're continuing to move away from that sin, what is that an evidence of? The fact that He who has done a good work in you will continue it. He will complete it. He will bring you into spiritual perfection. And though we might not look perfect here on this earth, you better believe it. When we punch into glory, we're going to be a saint. We will be without sin. Uh, my wife and I were talking earlier and, and uh, she read this somewhere and I just thought how beautiful this is. I love her with every fiber of my being. But when both of us are in heaven and I look at her and I tell her that I love her, And she tells me that she loves me, it will be a perfect love. A perfect love. And I'm dying to have that here. Should we not be striving and toiling and working not to try and earn our way into heaven, but to prove that we've been bought with a price, that we are different? Than the world, that we are separate from the world, that though we are in the world, we're not of the world. We should be striving to do that. This is uh, in verse 25. Listen to the arrogance of the, 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 the Pharisees, the, those uh, representat- representatives from the Pharisees. Listen to their arrogance. Why then are you baptizing? You hear that? Think about that. Here's John the Baptist, who uh, Jesus said is literally the greatest of all men, born of woman, minus Christ Jesus Himself. And we have the quote-unquote religious leaders and authorities coming up and saying, you know what? Who's this dude? Who's this weirdo? Who's this guy in camel hair? Locusts and honey probably dripping out of his beard, looking like a wild man. What does it say? And all the people were coming to be baptized by him in the River Jordan. Think about that for a second. Here's what it is. We've got some dude who does not have authority. There's air-quoted authority. He doesn't have authority. He's doing godly good things. People are coming to repent of their sins and look more like God. They haven't yet yet seen Christ. Remember, because He hasn't punched onto the scene yet. But they are seeing the necessity of following the Scriptures. They're repenting from their sin and making an outward declaration of that. Why then are you baptizing? Well, first off, because that's what God sent me to do. Second off, because uh, I should be. Because spiritually you are filthy. I'm the forerunner of Jesus Christ. I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Ah. Ah. Listen to the, the sarcasm in their voice. I'm going to translate their sarcasm Why are you challenging our authority and our desires and our tradition and causing such a ruckus? Why are you doing things that God has told you to do if you're one of these two people? Elijah or the Christ. John himself merely stated that he was a voice of one. And look what it takes to rattle the religiosity of the day. Look literally what it takes to shake the birdcage of this. Being a voice of one. For God. That's what it took to flip the whole world upside down. Being a voice for God. What happened to most of the prophets? Killed, sawn in half, stoned, beaten to death, burned. What happened to most of the apostles? Uh, let's see, crucified upside down, beaten with sticks, thrown off of temples, clubbed in the head, so on and so on and so on. And then we get, of uh, course, to John, who wrote this, different from John the Baptist who church history says was boiled in oil alive. They did not kill him. And he died at the ripe age of about 100. Do you see the cost of following Christ in a world that hates Christ? Yes, we should. We absolutely should. Hmm. We should be listening to God and being unashamed at the results. We should be giving God the credit for the message and the results that the message brings. What, is, what are we constantly doing? Uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. We must focus on Him. We must not focus on ourselves. We must look to the Word of God. We should not look to our own opinions. Or vain philosophy. Or deceitful lies of Satan. Sounds a bit different than American Christianity, doesn't it? Touch. I would say a touch. You see, with the American gospel, it's all about what I can get. It's all about me. It's all about I. What I can do, what I can be, what I can serve in, so that I might receive a reward or recognition for my service. But, why would I want to damage my reputation? Risk my friendships, my family ties, my finances, my job, or whatever else for Christ. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to be the voice of one proclaiming the truth of God if it cost me anything in those areas? Hmm. Let's look at Luke fourteen verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. Luke fourteen, twenty-five through twenty-seven. Now large crowds were going along with him, Jesus Christ, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now understand this. Let me deconflict this before you know, the word hate gets thrown around and people come unglued. Especially my wife if I say it in a sermon because she's not sure where I'm about to take that word. That being said, hate here is not that we literally start hating our, our, our family. He's saying that in comparison to the love that you have for me, Christ Jesus... That if people looked at the love that you have for me, and then they looked at the love that you have for your family, they would say, man, he hates his family in comparison to Christ Jesus. So the Bible, again, clearly delineates the fact that we are not supposed to just, I'm not supposed to start hating my wife or my children or my relatives. No. Why? Because if we don't provide for our family, we're worse than an infidel. Says the Bible. So if we don't provide in love for our family... We're evil in God's sight. This is a comparative statement. If you don't love Me more than all of these, if your love for Me is not so great that your love doesn't look like hatred for everybody else, then we got a problem because I'm not your idol. The love that you have for your mother, your brother, your wife, your whatever, your son, your daughter, etc., if that's greater than the love you have for Me, you're worshiping something else Matthew 16 verses 24 through 26 Matthew 16 24 through 26 Then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone wishes to come after me he must do what deny himself take up his cross and follow me so here, here understand but keep it keep it there Emma for a second but here's what he's saying all right you must deny yourself you must not continue to try and do the things that just please you you got to stop it. you got to cease that activity. you got to pull away from that. What else does he say? You have to take up your cross. Guess what? This is not one of those little golden crosses you hang on a necklace. No, this is an execution device. This is something where you will die a slow, painful, terrible death on publicly. After you're beaten about half to death. And the nails are driven through your wrists and ankles. And you're publicly mocked by soldiers of a conquering nation. Get ready to take that up, Christian. Then what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. Best leader on the planet right there. Someone who doesn't sit back and say, you know what? Have at it. No, he says, you know what? I'm going to charge face forward into the enemy. Follow me. Follow my example, do what I do. Watch me, learn from me, Grow from me, because I will not leave you alone. And if I go, I'll send another, the Comforter, Holy Spirit. What does it say he'll never leave you nor forsake you? If you're a Christian, then if, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, literally, the, the third member of the Trinity, eternally dwells in you. Think about that. And and then we have to figure out what to do with things like sin. If you're a Christian, we should start hating sin and pulling away from sin and rejecting sin and exposing sin and dealing with sin. Don't say that, Pastor. You'll lose people in your congregation. No problem. I'll keep saying that because that'll help people stay out of hell. That's the reality. That's the reality. And it's not just avoidance of sin that sends you to heaven. It's love of Christ Jesus. But love of Christ Jesus by proxy should cause biblically a hatred of sin. Or as the purifications would say it, we should be after the mortification of sin. The killing of sin. That we should hunt it down like a rogue lion in the streets and put a bullet between its brains. The imagery is graphic, I know. But it's true. It's true. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, everything? All the material gain, riches, uh, pleasure, fame, you name it. Whatever it is, if you gain all of that, you forfeit your soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Newsflash, uh, let's, let's say, um, um, oh goodness, what was the uh, Apple CEO's name who died not too long? Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, one of the richest people on the planet. Guess how many extra days he got to live because of how wealthy he was? Zero. Guess how many minutes or seconds he was able to purchase with that money to sustain his own life? Zero. And I can guarantee that if he had the ability to preserve his own life through money, he would have been one of the first people to do it. Walt Disney had his head cut off and cryogenically frozen with the hopes that in the future, they might be able to bring his head back to life. True story. True story. Think think about that for a second. That's insane. That's literally ridiculous. What would people do to try and get one more day? Anything how many more days will people have unless God stays His judgment upon their life? Zero. Luke 9.26 Luke 9.26 For whoever is ashamed of Me, and this is Jesus speaking, for whoever is ashamed of Me and My words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So I want to let you in on a secret. Christianity is not a trinket that you buy from a really cheap souvenir shop in New York City. Jesus is not a bobblehead uh, that you put on the front dash of your vehicle. And Christianity isn't a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, or a couple sentences in a eulogy. That's not Christianity. Christianity is ultimately about submitting all that you are to all that He is of willfully saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You will add, this this is done in love, friends, you will add nothing to Jesus. You will add nothing to God in His infinite perfections, His wealth, His knowledge, or His love. Nothing. Because if you did, that would prove that God is imperfect and that he needed to create something outside of himself in order to find true joy, true riches, or true knowledge. That is false. That is untrue. It's about submitting all that we are to all that Christ is all that the Word commands, all that God requires, willingly, freely, and openly. And it isn't a club or a social program that we can come to four times a year and check the block. If that is all that it is to you, my friend, you're lost. If that is all that it is to you, you're blind, you're deaf, and you're spiritually dead. That's why John constantly points away from himself to the Christ Look with me in Ezekiel 36. This is verses 22, 26, and 27. Ezekiel 36, verses 22, 26, and 27. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. There's God prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ah, I will put My Spirit within you. Not, My Spirit will alight upon you and empower you to do X, Y, or Z. But no, I will dwell inside of you. I will pitch My tent inside of you. I will tabernacle literally inside of your body. Because you were Mine and you were bought with a price. Who was the the agent of all of this here in that last section of verses? Who was the primary cause of all this? God, not man. God. Now, when we look at what John the Baptist was doing, it was God using John the Baptist. It was God who was preparing to send his spirit to bring people to life in the most glorious and amazing possible way. Now, remember, John was the forerunner, and and look with me in what he said and what he was doing and who we should focus on. This is in our last two verses in the sermon text John 1 26 and 28 through 28. John 1, 26 through 28 John answered them saying I baptize in water but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Here's our second point. Christ rather than us must be the preeminent one. Christ rather than us, must be the preeminent one. Look at what John did with his language there. He said, ah, don't look at me, look at Christ. Oh wait, but that's right, you don't even know who He is. Isn't that the truth that Jesus Christ Himself proclaimed over and over and over again, no one can come to Me unless the Father draws Him? I have spoken these things in parables so that they might be hidden from these people. So that in seeing they may not see, in hearing they may not hear. Now here's John the Baptist by that society standards, a no-namer, a freak, a troublemaker, flipping the entire religious community on its head. Grabbing it and wrestling it to the ground with words. Look at what he says. I baptize with water. That's it. But... There's a big word there, but what's he doing? He's pointing forward. He's saying, I'm doing this thing you're mad at me for, and yes, you're correct in that, that I'm making you mad, but look to Christ. Look at Him. Look at the fact that I shouldn't even be able to untie His shoes. Yet I'm proclaiming the truth of Him. I'm crying out in the wilderness. I'm the voice of one. I'm proclaiming. I'm baptizing, but most importantly, all of that points to the Son of God. Every single bit of that points to the Son of God and away from myself. It's about Him rather than me. It's about Christ rather than earthly works or perceived religious piety. Perceived religious goodness. It is Christ and the coming crucifixion of Jesus Christ that we should be focused on in the New Testament setting. Now, let me sharpen John the Baptist's own words by just quoting him again. This is in Matthew 3.11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but He, Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove His sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, baptism here is not to be confused with Christian baptism. This is a sign of repentance and a desire to be obedient to the Word of God. Ultimately, the incarnate Son of God, the coming Christ. But what did he add? What what, what was present here in Matthew's account that we don't see the extra language of in John's account? Ah, something tough, right? He will baptize with the Holy Spirit those who are His and who are drawn into relationship with Himself by the Holy Spirit. He will save them. He'll send them a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to indwell them, but, here's our word, but, He will baptize those who reject Him and His word with fire and hell. Repent of your sin and believe. Repent and believe. Turn from wickedness and live. Turn from the world and the flesh and the devil to Christ. Evidence this with your life. Believe the Christ and be saved. This is why we must know the gospel. How can we help others and be a tool in the hand of the rescuer of souls if we do not know what he is doing? Ah, how can I operate anything to its fullest potential if I know nothing of what it can do or how it even works? Put any example you want in there, it's not going to happen. Again, my wife's going to laugh at me when I say this. I helped to plant probably a few acres of a cover crop, so I'm pretty much a farmer now. Alright? But that being said, the tractor that I was in had many buttons. It had many screens. It had many knobs. It had many things that I knew nothing of. And while I knew generally what the tractor was there to do with the planting machine behind it, the cedar, whatever the thing's called, I don't even know what it's called. I knew generally, I had a general picture of what it was all about. But if you left me alone in that thing, guess what would happen? I would crash it and it would catch on fire. And all the buttons and all the knobs and all the screens would be in the wrong position. Because I would ultimately know nothing of how to operate it. Christianity. That's Christianity. If I don't know the basics, I'm going to crash and burn. I'm going to wreck that ship and suffer great loss. This is my cry. This is my heart. And you know it is. Everyone in this room actually knows that it is. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I've been begging people to do that since I showed up here. Get a Bible reading plan. If you have trouble understanding, talk with me, talk with my wife, or talk to both of us. Email me. Call me. Text me. Set up a Zoom meeting. Send smoke signals. Uh, If we could get two little uh, cans and stretch a line between them and we pulled them tight enough, we could talk through the cans. I don't care what your means is or what you do to try and get the information, but dear goodness, I'm trying to tell you get the information. Learn and grow and seek the Lord while He may be found. Don't reject the life preserver if you're barely treading water. Think about how dumb that is. Proverbs, how stupid that is. Think about that. If you were drowning in a pool and a lifeguard reaches out and says, "Hey, here's a life preserver, and you say, "Get that thing out of my face." What's he going to He's going to sit there and like, "What are you talking about? I'm here to save your life." Or at least try and provide something in order that your life might be saved. Get that thing out of my face. Leave me. <laughs> I don't want that. That life preserver's not real. What, what, what do you think? Here, here, do you want me to explain what they tell lifeguards to do? Open water lifeguards, what they tell them to do? Knock them out. Punch them in the face, knock them out, and then save them. That's what they tell rescuers to do. Think about that for a second. Or let them drown just a little bit so that you can subdue them and they won't thrash around too much and then save them. Huh. Let me repaint that picture. Someone spiritually drowning and a pastor, a preacher, a true Christian, a teacher, an evangelist, whatever, comes up and says, hey, this is what the Word of God says. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's read through this together. Questions that you have. Difficulties that you have. I will answer them. I will love you. I will deal with this in any way that I can in order that we can try, try to, to remedy this situation with God rather than anyone else's opinion. Get that out of my face. I don't want to see that. Don't use the Scripture when you try and help me. Don't use the Scripture when you try and argue with me. How much sense does that make? None. Because the whole world will look at the lifeguard and say, You did a good job. You did the right thing. That person drowned and died. You tried to give them help. You, you did every single thing that you possibly could have. They did not want the help. They fought you the whole way. The world will look at them and say, You're good. Here's what the whole world will do with a pastor or with a true Christian or an evangelist or a teacher. Or, 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 any type of person who's in this Christianity thing who tries to reach out and help somebody who thinks they're a Christian but they're flaming out. You're driving them away. You're hateful to them. You're mean to them. You're unloving to them. You're unkind to them. That's what everyone will say. Thank you. Man's been a pastor for forty-six years. I want you to see something else. Jason and I were talking about this. The insane number of pastors who have chosen to come and sit in our sanctuary and worship with us. That's an anomaly. How can I say that's an anomaly? Because uh, I grew up the son of a Southern Baptist minister who then became an army chaplain and I've moved 37 times in my life. I've seen a few churches. And never once in my life have I seen as many pastors reach our small congregation as they have here. Or as many pastors reach out To encourage us to continue teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or reach out to us in order that we might teach them so they can be more effective in their ministries all over the world. Jason, back me up. True. True. The The only continent we don't have is Antarctica, isn't it? That's it. That's the only continent that people are not currently accessing our content from is Antarctica. And that's because there's like 20 scientists there. We have North America, Central America, South America, Europe, Russia, China, Australia, Africa. God is doing something and I want us to be excited about that. God is moving in such a way that you know what He's not doing? He's not veiling that for us. He's saying, let me, I'm going to pull the veil back a little bit. I'm going to let you see what I'm doing. Here's what happens. Christians, this is what happens. Their heart, they get that little flurry. They get excited. Oh, yeah, man, that's awesome. Man, oh, yeah, I'm jacked up. Got Kenya. Got you know, Africa. Got Russia. All these countries tuned in to hear the gospel. Listen to the counter response. Listen. Well, what about us? What about us? Those are the two responses that we get. People who are excited about what God's doing in the world and people who step back, don't care about it, say, what about us? What does the Bible say? He must increase, I must decrease. Let's focus on Him, not on ourselves. Let's see what we can do for Christ, not what Christ can do for us. Because He's already done everything. He's already given us salvation. He's prepared beforehand good works that we can walk in. If we would but love Him, read the Bible, and walk in the Holy Spirit. Holy cow, this Christianity thing's so hard, isn't it? No, it's not. It's difficult. It's not hard. It's difficult, but it's straightforward. It's difficult, but it's right in front of us because it's just the truth of God. Here's something that I've witnessed personally in my time here. Over the past six months, the people I have seen grown the most, learn the most, find the most joy, understand difficult things, and deal with difficult things well. It is the people who are reading their Bibles. Let's. Anybody want to get into a car race across country and not fuel up their car? Anybody want to get into an airplane where the guy who's supposed to be filling it up with fuel is like, you know what, I'm going to take the day off. I don't want to fuel this plane up. It's about to take off. They'll be fine. Who wants to get in that airplane? How many of you guys are going to skip every meal for the next four days short of fasting? None of you. Yet how many people who profess Christianity and never fill up the tank? Let let me, let me let you in on a little systematic theology secret here. The reason ultimately why you get hungry three times a day is to remind you of your spiritual need for your Almighty Father who gives us the bread of life and living water. Ah. That's why we get hungry, so that we can feel something tangible in order that we might reach out and lay our hands to that which provides sustenance. Yeah, what does the average Christian do? Uh. Or the average professing Christian. Uh. Don't need to read that thing. I'll listen to it for about an hour on Sunday. Good for you, friend. You're starving. Good for you, friend. Your plane will crash out of the sky because it has no fuel. Good for you, friend. Your car that you were supposed to drive across country didn't make it out of the county. Here's why Jesus was such a dangerous person to get into a debate with. Because he would explain a natural phenomenon or he would explain some simple earthly analogy. Everyone would agree with him. Everyone would agree with him. But then he would explain the spiritual thing and people wanted to kill him. Ah, there it is. That's why he used all the parables. He would draw people into an understanding of the truth. A clear cut definition of the truth. And then he would sit back and he would watch them punt on the spiritual truth that it explained. Like a football. Like a a half-inflated football. I don't need this thing. Let me toss it out. Let's get another. And what do you replace it with? Uh, Self? Idolatry? uh, Wants? Needs? Lusts? uh, Money? Whatever. You'll replace that with something if you're not filling your spiritual tank. You will. The Bible says you will you don't believe me we can talk about it so I say these things not to your detriment not to your discouragement I say these things as a spiritual doctor because guess what nobody does hey I'm sorry ma'am I'm sorry sir you have cancer nobody then looks at the doctor and says you're an awful person you're terrible why would you tell me that nobody does that do they they say, how do we beat this thing, doc? Let's, let's shoot some radiation into my head, pump some chemicals through my body. Let's kill this thing. That's what they say. Here's what people who understand their spiritual condition and want nothing to do with it do. I don't care. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear what the cure is. I don't want to know. Don't you dare use biblical language to tell me what the cure actually is. And so you see pastors everywhere, true pastors, true teachers and preachers of the gospel who literally sometimes they sit back. I I, I can imagine Jesus doing this more than a couple times because we know at least He did over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If I could have gathered you, like what? We see it here, farm analogy, as a hen gathers her chicks, but you're not willing. You just see Him pulling His hair. And saying it's so simple, it's right in front of you. It's the gospel, it's the truth. I'm God, I'm explaining it, I'm showing you, and you still don't want it. Gospel, truth, the Bible. This growth is tangible, evident, and clear. And I can hear it in people's prayers. What they think about God comes out of their mouths in prayer. If you don't know much about God, it's because you aren't reading your Bible or because you aren't reading it with eyes that can see and a heart that can respond. I'll prove my point by looking back at the sermon text in John one twenty six. John one twenty six. But among you stands one who you do not know. Among you stands one who you do not know. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, and He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the words of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand, Of the majesty on high. This is the only life that any single one of you will live. This is the only life that we have to learn about Christ before we meet him in glory or we meet him as he returns to this earth in great wrath and fury and anger. I don't want anybody in here to flip a spiritual coin on their soul choose this day who you will serve Christians choose every day who you will continue to serve here's our questions before we close when has God wronged you when has God let you down when has he spoken and it has not come to pass what is his track record last question what is ours What is our track record? Bow with me. Father God, Lord, we know, God, that we are utterly incapable of doing any good apart from You. Lord, that it is by the righteousness of Christ that Christians can even choose to do what is good and right and holy. God, empower those of us who truly know you to be a light in the darkness, to proclaim spiritual truths, to be that city on a hill. God, constantly to look to you, to focus on the Christ, to point away from ourselves, to pull away from idolatry, to pull away from uh, self-pride and self-love and self-this and self-that. God, let us focus on Christ And let us realize that we are not even worthy to step up to the table short of the fact that He has invited us. Lord, that You would do a mighty work in this congregation, God, that You would continue to conform us to the image of Christ. That You would transform us by the renewing of our minds, understanding that we can only be renewed, God, if we're reading Your Word. If we're praying for understanding. If the Holy Spirit would illumine the text shine light onto these words and bring them into understanding for us god that is the only way that we can understand i pray god that that work would be wildly efficacious here in wakeman lord that it would extend to the township the county the state lord that you would continue to push out what we're doing here across the world So that we can step away from taking responsibility, God, and look to you in the greatness of your glory and say, Look what God did. Not because we were wise or smart or or funny or technologically advanced, but because God used broken things to do his work. That is my prayer. That is my heart. That is my desire. God, forgive us of our sins. Our many sins, God. Help us to grow daily in Christ-likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the desire and the adherence of Your Word. God, that we would meditate upon Your law and Your precepts day and night. That Your Word would not leave our mouth. That's our prayer. Father, it's in the name of Christ Jesus. God, it is in the name of the one whom we are not even worthy of untying his sandals. God, it is in the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we pray and we ask, Lord, in accordance with your will. Amen. If you would please rise with me in our closing hymn.